0: All right, well, good morning once again. This morning, we want to pick up our series, which we began a couple weeks ago. Last week, I had my surgery. Uh, The week before that, we started a series, which we've entitled, How Can I Know God's Will for My Life? Now, as I said a couple weeks ago, this is probably the most common question uh, that pastors get from people in their congregations. You know, it's not some really deep, we get those too, but for the most part, the most common questions we get have to do with practical issues like how can I know God's will for my life? And as I said when we started this series, we really could spend weeks and weeks looking at this subject using, I don't know, a deep and exhaustive theological approach. But for our study or our series before us the next week or two, I like to keep things simple by saying that when it comes to God's will for your life, it really just falls into two categories, two main categories. The general or scriptural will of God, and then the specific or personal will of God. Now, last time we started looking at the first point, the general or the scriptural will of God. Now, I realize that when, you know, people go online or they pull up our website and they see, oh, serious, how can I know God's will for my life? They tend to come because... In their minds, we're going to answer the question, well, who do I marry? What job do I take? What what house do I live in? Uh, What ministry should I get involved in? These are personal questions they're looking to find answers for, uh, for these personal issues of their lives. And guys, they are important. But listen to me. Believe it or not, as important as those personal issues are that you want answers for, they are secondary to knowing and, of course, doing. God's primary will for your life, which he has laid out in the pages of scripture. And in fact, guys, let me just say this. If you're not serious about doing what God has already revealed in his word about his will for your life, well, why should he be serious about revealing to you anything further when it comes to his specific or his personal will for your life? Very important that we start with the basics, all right? God has told us an awful lot in his word about his will for our lives if we're not willing to at least try by his grace and strength to do what he's already revealed, why should he reveal anything further is the idea. So that's kind of where we started, all right, the general or scriptural will of God. And as I said a couple weeks ago, if you go to the scriptures and study all the passages on God's will, and there are many, okay, you'll discover that There are some reoccurring themes that that make up what I'll call his basic or general will for all of our lives. I'll give you five main ones. I'm sure there are others. But these are the ones that I think of most, that I've read about most in the pages of Scripture. I'll just condense them into five main things that make up God's scriptural will for all of our lives. Number one, it is God's will that you go to heaven when you die. That's his will. Number two... It is God's will that your life has meaning and purpose. Number three, it is God's will that you be delivered from destructive behaviors that are destroying your life. Number four, it is God's will that you turn your life completely over to him to be used for his glory. And number five, it is God's will that you obey all that he has said so he can bless you all that he desires. And again, guys, one of the best ways to know God's will for your life is to simply read God's word. And as you come across things where he is commanding you to do something, just stop right there and lift up a quick prayer. Lord, by your grace, I want to obey what you have said here. And mean it with all your heart, and just lift up a simple prayer. God, by your grace, that's the only way I can obey you. By your grace and strength, I want to obey what you have said here. Give me the grace to do it. And if that's your heart, uh, going into the Word, as you read the Word, believe me, God will touch you and lead you in ways you never thought possible in the personal matters of your life. So let's recap quickly. We, we looked at the first two last time, and let's recap just briefly. First of all, it's God's will that you go to heaven when you die. Now, the Apostle Paul tells us in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4, that God desires all people to be saved from hell and to come to the knowledge of the truth. The knowledge of the truth would be the gospel. God wants everybody to know the gospel because it's through the gospel that they put their faith in Christ and are saved. It's God's desire that all men and women know the truth. Well, how does that happen? Well, Jesus, before he ascended back to his father, he gave us the great commission. Go into all the world and preach the good news, the gospel, the truth. It's every person. That's God's heart. Jesus said, I came to seek and to save those who are lost. And now we are picking up his mantle. He began the work, and now he's passed it over to his church, and we are commanded by him to go out into this world and give people the truth. The truth will set them free. The truth is the gospel of Jesus Christ, who is the only way to the Father, the only way to heaven. There are other roads that people are touting as roads that will get you to nirvana or paradise or heaven, But the Bible says there's only one way, there's only one true heaven, and the only way to get there is through God's only begotten Son, Jesus Christ. The Apostle Peter echoes that when he said in his second epistle, chapter 3, verse 9, that God is not willing that anyone be sent to hell, but that all men and women should turn from a life of sin to Jesus Christ to be saved. That is God's heart on the matter. People say, well, I'm not good enough to go to heaven. Good, You, you got that nailed down none of us are heaven is not for good people it's for forgiven people and all of us can receive forgiveness by receiving christ as our lord and savior all right but this is not just a new testament idea i mean way back in the old testament i'll just give you one scripture out of ezekiel chapter 18 verses 30 to 32 i won't uh, have you turn here but i'll just paraphrase god is speaking to his people now at this time in israel's history the nation had become very apostate very much into idolatry into all kinds of uh, immoral practices. And uh, God, you know, he didn't want to have to judge them. He didn't want to destroy them physically and then cast them into hell eternally. So at one point in Ezekiel 18, he's pleading with his people. God is pleading. He's saying, please turn from your sin. Please turn. Why will you die? I get no pleasure out of the death of the wicked. Turn, repent, come to me and get yourself a new life get filled with the Spirit, and I'll bless you, and so on. God is pleading with his people to get right with him because he doesn't want to judge them. Our God does not delight in judgment. He delights in mercy. He is a merciful God, and he is a righteous and holy God who has to punish sin, but He put that punishment on Christ on the cross of Calvary. And if anyone will come to Jesus and receive him as Lord and Savior, then what Jesus did on Calvary's cross will be applied to their account, and God will mark their ledger, all the sins they have committed against him, paid in full, paid in full. That's the heart of our God. And so God wants everyone to go to heaven when they die. Number two, and we're still reviewing, it is God's will that your life has meaning and purpose. Let me read once again out of Ephesians 2, verses 8 to 10. The Apostle Paul said, and I quote, God saved you by his grace when you believed, and you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus, so we can do good things. Listen, he planned for us long ago so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago or that we can fulfill the purpose for which he created us is the idea it's all about God saving us that we can do the good things he has planned for our lives long ago in other words God has a purpose that he has ordained for every one of our lives salvation was the first step because God wants us saved before he can really use us for his glory But salvation was the first step. But as Paul is telling us very clearly here, that God created you on purpose for a purpose. And he has been preparing you for the work he has ordained for your life, even from before you were born. Paul talked about this in Galatians 1, verse 15, for his own life. He said, God called me into ministry even from my mother's womb. In other words, Paul is saying, you know, the family I would be born into, the area I would be born in, the time in human history I would be born into, all the attributes, all the things that God gave to me as I was conceived and being formed in my mother's womb were all part of God's ultimate plan so that when I got to a certain age and God saved me, He then would call me into the specific ministry He had ordained for my life from the foundation of the world but basically started when I was conceived in my mother's womb. And then he goes on to say, and then after we were born, God continued to work in our lives, right? Shaping us and molding us through the good and the bad experiences of life, making us into the person that we are today, perfectly suited for the work he is going to call us or has called us into. So again, guys, you were made on purpose by God for a purpose. You are not an accident. I don't care what any evolutionist says, you are not an accident. You were made in the image of God for a purpose. And we studied this at length last time. You can go online and and listen to the study. Now, number three, and this is where we pick it up this morning. Number three, it is God's will that you be delivered from destructive behaviors that are destroying your life. It is not God's will after you have been born of the spirit to go on living under the control of the devil. It's absolutely not his will you know jesus said of the devil that it was his goal to steal kill and destroy now i don't know all the nuances of everything jesus had in mind when he said those words here's my take on it he is saying the devil's goal is to steal all god wants from your life to kill your body and destroy your soul in hell forever That is his goal with regard to every human being on the face of the earth. Of course, those of us who have accepted Christ, he's lost us, all right? He's lost us. We found God, the devil lost us. But I want you to know that it's God's will that once you receive Christ, the Bible says you are a new creation in Christ, and God desires you now to go out and live a new kind of a life. But Satan wants to destroy. Satan has come to steal, kill, and destroy. And one of the main ways he is accomplishing his objectives today, guys, is through chemical dependency, which has reached epidemic proportions in our country today. Obviously, for many years, Satan has used alcohol to enslave and destroy people. We all have people in our families who have drunk themselves to death. We have had people in our church who have done that. Very sad, very tragic. But today he has a new and very powerful weapon that he has unleashed on the people of this world. It's called opioids. Opioids are drugs that act on the nervous system to relieve pain. And they would include drugs like heroin, Vicodin, uh, hydrocodone, oxycontin, and fentanyl, just to name a few. There's many others. Continued use and abuse of these drugs can lead to physical dependence and even death. In fact, this is shocking. Last year alone, over 50,000 people in America died from drug overdoses, the most ever in our nation's history. But it wasn't just 2016. I mean, it's been hovering around 50,000 people dying every year for the last few years from these drugs. And the drugs that are leading the list, driving this epidemic of death, is opioids. Opioids. Now... Unfortunately, as a church, we know this only too well. Because I was telling first service, and this is going back a few years before the opioid crisis, really shifted into high gear. But back in 2006, we had a young man in our church who actually was born in this church. He grew up in this church. His family only lived a couple of miles away from my family. And uh, their one son used to come over to our house and play with our son. Uh, they were good friends. So we saw this young man grow up in our church in '06, I think he was about 21. I know I had just talked to him recently about the new job he had uh, acquired. Uh, he was really going places. Very talented young guy, and uh, got a new job, and he was really moving up the ladder, and had his future was nothing but bright. But for some reason, he was fooling around with uh, heroin. Of course, his family didn't know this. He wasn't shooting; at these were pills he was popping. Okay, I remember it was Easter of 06. I saw him that day with his family for service, and um, Monday evening, he came home from work, and he was living downstairs in his parents' basement, so he came down after work and uh, put on the TV, and uh, we found out later what he had done was he had taken one of these little tiny, they were, I never actually saw the pills. His father said he went up into his bedroom uh, and found a packet with another one in there. He said it was so small, you couldn't believe it, but street drugs, they Cut it with something very bad. A lot of guys were dying, found out later. Uh, He takes his little heroin pill, pops it in his mouth, then takes a bite of his Easter candy, and he died instantly. When the paramedics finally found him, when his mom finally went down to say goodnight to him, found him unconscious, called the paramedics, uh, called us, We all rushed to the hospital, thought maybe he could be saved. He was already gone. We didn't know that. They said that um, this heroin had been cut with something so poisonous that he never even had a chance to chew the candy in his mouth it just killed him instantly. The devil has come to steal, kill, and destroy. And I know that a lot of people are living with a lot of pain, physical pain and emotional pain. And a lot of times, drugs can numb the pain. Drugs can give you an artificial high. Drugs can make you feel for a little while like things are better. But the devil never gives you anything to make you feel good without eventually using it to make you feel much worse and to enslave you Satan is preying on all the misery in the world why are people so miserable because they've turned their backs on God for the most part Jesus said the devil has come to steal kill and destroy but I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly John 10 verse 10 Jesus said that he came to set men and women free from the power of the devil to give them a life of freedom and purpose. Paul echoed that in Galatians chapter 5, verse 1 when he said, for freedom Christ has set us free. The goal of salvation is not just to save you from hell, it's to set you free from the devil's control and power right now on the earth, that God might use you. God is all all about taking what the devil has used, abused, and discarded onto the scrap heap of humanity. Many lives that were so gone, so lost, so strung out on drugs or whatever else that everybody wrote this person off. And here's the Lord Jesus Christ and the power of his spirit reaches down on the garbage heap of humanity, humanity's castaways, and the Lord reclaims them. Not only does he reclaim them, he doesn't just patch them up. He makes them brand new creations. And puts his spirit within them. And they're sent out completely victorious in Christ. See, Paul said in 2 Timothy 2, that we are not to argue with unbelievers, but to patiently and gently give them the gospel so that, and I'm quoting from Paul now, they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, listen, who has taken them captive to do his will. When you witness to an unbeliever, you have to understand something you are witnessing to somebody the devil has taken captive. And the only way for them to be set free is through the power of the Lord Jesus Christ through the new birth. The only way. When you go out and witness, I hope you realize you're, you're engaging in a spiritual practice that only God can do through you. The new birth is a miracle. We have not been called to bring men to Christ. We've only been called to bring Christ to men and women. Our job, give them the gospel. Only God can make them a brand new creation. The devil wants to ensnare, enslave, and then slowly destroy. And of course he's doing that with a variety of things today in our culture. I mean, there's, people are, are have been taken captive by the devil through the, the uh, temptation of materialism, sexual pleasure, power. I mean, the list goes on and on, right? Materialism. But again, I think one of the main ways he has really Taking people captive and is destroying their lives slowly is through chemical dependency. We have become an addict nation, an addict nation. I mean, I've been watching the, the, the articles. I've been following the stats. You can't believe how much drug abuse has become a part of our society. And look, at when you read the news and you see about these violent killings and robberies and all the violence in society, a lot of it, is, it goes back to people's drug use and looking for money to satisfy their drug use. You can't believe how, how much this is just a foundational thing in our society that's leading to so many other things. But the devil wants to take people's lives through this kind of junk. God wants to set them free. Uh, many of you in this room remember my Uncle Art. Uncle Art was a great guy who came to our church for many years before he went home to be with the Lord. For many years, actually over 30 years, my uncle uh, was the manager of the Bowen Alley uh, in Elk Grove, a few miles from here. For all those years, he was a severe alcoholic, though. I mean, he was not the kind of a drunk that didn't go to work. He always went to work, but he was always drunk, pretty much. Or at some point during the day, he would then get drunk. And um, when he got saved... He understood that, you know, he didn't want to do that anymore. He didn't want to be in bondage to that kind of thing anymore. And so he tried really hard, (laughs) don't we? We get saved and we we realize the old life, we want to walk away from it. And so we try really hard, don't we, to walk away. But you know what? We find out quickly, we don't have the strength to walk away from some of these things like alcoholism or drug abuse because they really have a hold on us. My uncle found that out. And he told me one day how that after he'd been saved for a while and tried to get free of the alcohol but kept falling back into it, he knelt by his bed one night and he prayed a simple prayer. He said, God, I, I love you, and, and, and I, I know that I'm a Christian now, but, Lord, I can't get free of this alcohol. I can't. I, I'm just It's got too much. I try, but I can't. And, Lord, if you don't deliver me, I won't be delivered. I, I will remain an alcoholic the rest of my life. And he said... When I got up from my knees, God instantly healed me. He instantly took the alcoholism away. I didn't go through a DT. I didn't go through a single withdrawal. God completely delivered me from bondage to alcohol. There's a lot of people who have that testimony, some in this very room. Let me just say this to you. Once the Lord has set us free, doesn't mean we can't get retangled and put ourselves back in bondage, right? I just read to you the first part of Galatians 5, verse 1. Let me read the whole verse. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Paul is saying, once the Lord has set you free from like alcohol or drugs or something else, don't fool around with it anymore. Don't think, well, I've been free from alcohol, for I did this with cigarettes, by the way. I was, you know... I couple pack a day cigarette smoker when i first got saved and i wanted to be set free and so i prayed lord please set me free from cigarettes i'm not kidding you the lord took it away now that's not the same with everybody but for me completely took it away about a month went by a month and a half and one night i'm thinking you know i can have a cigarette you know, god set me free I've, I've heard of alcoholics who said i can have one beer god i've been free of the alcohol that's the devil talking I had my one cigarette, and then another, and, then, and I was back up to two packs again for another month or so until I said, God, please, I'm sorry, Lord. I don't want to be in bondage to this anymore. You know what the Lord did to me? True story. For three days, I suffered. It was so hard. I mean, he gave me the grace not to go through with it, but I wanted a cigarette so bad. It's like the Lord was saying, I uh, made it a little too easy last time. You didn't appreciate that, did you? After the third day, boom, took it away completely, never looked back. Look, if God has delivered you from something and you had victory for a long time and then you started to dabble with it a little bit, thinking you could control it and it got a hold of you again, take heart. The same God who delivered you the first time can deliver you again. But don't fool around. Don't take your victory for granted. I remember hearing stories from the 60s. That's when the, Calvary, uh, that's when the Jesus movement really started and Calvary Chapel actually began back in the 60s. And those of us who were around at that time remember how that uh, the um, young people were very much involved with drugs back then. It's a big drug epidemic back then as well, right? And um, heroin was, was really big back in the 60s. And I remember hearing stories of these hippies who were on heroin who received Christ as Lord and Savior, and God delivered them immediately, instantly from the heroin. They walked; they never had a withdrawal. I've heard numerous testimonies. I also heard how that a couple of them, after a few months or after a month, we'll say, decided, well, you know, I just want a little high. I've been set free. I just maybe one little high, and um, they shot up with the same amount of heroin they had done. Be they were taking before God delivered them, and they overdosed because the Lord had cleansed their system. You know, the Lord, when He heals us, He heals us, right? When He he delivers us, He delivers us. He never does anything half-hearted, and neither should we. When you give your life to Christ and He sets you free, don't look back. Well, I had some good times. No, you didn't. You were so miserable that even less misery seemed like a good time. Drugs are not a good time. Drugs numb the pain. They mask the reality. It's not a good time. It's just numbing... What's really evil and going on in your life that's so bad? When you get saved, now you know what life is all about. You have meaning. You have purpose. You don't need to look. There's nothing Move along, nothing here to see. Leave the old life alone. Israel wanted to go back to Egypt, right? How stupid was that? What was in Egypt? Leeks, onions, garlic, what, condiments? You're going back to Egypt for condiments? That's the big draw? God's got the promise. What you want to go back to have what leeks, onions, and garlic? But this is how we are. We forget the misery because we get used to the victory, and we take the victory for granted. Number four, it is God's will that you turn your life completely over to Him to be used for His glory. Now guys, this dovetails with the second point in our outline of God's general-slash-scriptural will for our lives, that it's His desire that our lives have meaning and purpose. We could say that this point, which is the fourth in our outline, is a continuation and amplification of that truth, or in other words, the only life that will have meaning and purpose is a life that is fulfilling the purpose for which God created it. The only life that's going to have meaning and purpose is a life that is being lived for the purpose for which God created it. You say, what was that purpose? Well, Jesus expressed it. He expressed his purpose in life in John 6, 38 when he said, I have come not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. And then in John 4, 34, he said, my food is to do the will of my Father and finish his work if you had any doubts about what god's purpose for your life really is now you know it's to do his will not your own and to finish the work he has called you to do paul called it finishing my race finishing my race and he did and he finished it well i have fought the good fight i have kept the faith i have finished the race but, you know, in Revelation chapter 4, verse 11, you don't have to turn there. We are told that God created us, listen, for his pleasure and to bring him glory. It's a shock to a lot of people who don't really know the Lord because they believe God created them for one purpose, that he might make them happy and and, and just keep pouring, you know, into their lives all the, the goodies, right? Okay. And uh, when you tell them, well, you know, God really didn't create you for your pleasure for your glory he created you for his pleasure for his glory they get very upset oftentimes okay very upset they say well you know what does that kind of life do for me i i don't want to live for god's glory i want to live for my pleasure i want to do what pleases me they don't realize that happiness and fulfillment in life is not listen to me is not a direct pursuit you'll never find happiness and fulfillment in life through a direct pursuit it always comes as a byproduct. What is the main pursuit? Drawing close to God, living for his glory, living for his pleasure. When you do that, the byproduct is a pretty awesome life of fulfillment and joy and peace and so on. I'll quote to you from my pastor, Pastor Chuck Smith, who started, by God's grace, the Calvary Chapel movement in the Uh, in the 60s when the Jesus movement was uh, really taken off and he was a big part of that movement. Listen to what he said on the subject. He said, I am created in the image and likeness of God so that I might know God and have fellowship with God. The purpose of my existence is to bring pleasure to God. Revelation 4.11 says, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. Chuck goes on, my purpose in life is to bring pleasure to God. Now, the question is, is your life bringing pleasure to God? In that degree by which your life is bringing pleasure to God, you are living a satisfying, fulfilling life. By the same token, in the the degree which you are living for yourself, you are living an empty, frustrating life. Life can only be meaningful and fulfilling when you are living to please God, because this is why you're here, end quote. This is the purpose for which you have been created. Now listen, we all have a free will. All right, we all have a free will. And therefore, we don't have to live for God's pleasure. Many are not. We don't have to live for God's pleasure or use our lives to fulfill the work he has ordained for us. We can do our own thing, go our own way. Many are. Many who know the truth, many who grew up in church are just doing their own thing. And you can do that, but remember this, you can choose the decisions of your life and what you do with your life, you can't choose the consequences. See, that, that's kind of a, a thing many people don't realize. Sure, I can choose to live for myself. I can't choose what happens to me after I die then though. Jesus put it this way, if you seek to find your life now, in other words, live for yourself right now, you will lose your life for eternity. But if you lose your life right now for my sake, in other words, give up your control and stop living for yourself and start living for me, you will gain your life for all eternity. And then he made this piercing statement. For what would it profit a person if they gained the whole world but lost their soul? What is worth your soul? What is worth, what success? What amount of materialism? What amount of pleasure? What?" If anything this world has to offer is worth you trading your eternal soul for, what kind of a trade is that? Yet people are making it every day. They are trading in eternity with God in heaven, where Peter says, uh, joy inexpressible, full of glory. that never fades away. What, they're trading that for a few years of pleasure in the earth? I mean, how long are you going to be able to enjoy all this pleasure and wealth and success? 40, 50, 60 more years? What if you could enjoy it for another 150 or 60 years? That's a small amount of time when compared to eternity. That's why I say, and the Bible says, living for God and His glory, guys, is the greatest life a person can ever live because it fulfills the greatest purpose we can ever have. There's no greater purpose in living your life to bring God glory. No greater life. There's no greater purpose. And that's why Paul admonished Christians, all that you do in word or in deed, do all for the glory of God. You want to enter into the abundant life? You want to know what life's really all about? You want to know joy and peace and and all the things that really make life worth living here on the earth Then don't pursue them directly through materialism or anything else, success? You draw close to, you receive Christ, you draw close to God, you give your life to him to be used by him for his glory, and guess what? All the other things you're looking for will come upon you as a byproduct. You will enter into the abundant life. So let's recap quickly. It is God's will that you go to heaven when you die, number one. Number two, it is God's will that your life has meaning and purpose. Number three, it is God's will that you be delivered from destructive behaviors that are destroying your life. Number four, it is God's will that you turn your life completely over to Him to be used for His glory. And finally, number five, it is God's desire that you obey all that He has said so He can bless you all that He desires. And once again, guys, this fifth point in our outline dovetails with the last point. Or in other words, the only way you can turn your life completely over to God to be used for His glory is, listen, to obey all that He has said In his word that's the bottom line okay you really want to submit yourself to god to be used by him for his glory great the only way to do that is to commit yourself to obeying everything he has said in his word now look none of us are going to obey everything god has said all the time we're weak we still have a fallen sin nature we're wrestling with as paul said the things i want to do i don't always do things i don't want to do those things i often do oh wretched men that i am romans 7 right But that should be the goal. As Jesus said, Jesus was the only one who always did what his Father wanted. He said, I I, I do always those things that please the Father. Would to God. We could all say that, right? But that should be the goal. It says of Jesus, the the incarnation in in John chapter 1, and the word, Jesus Christ, became flesh and what? Dwelt among us. That was Jesus. That was the incarnation. But do you realize that in a spiritual way, a metaphorical way. That's exactly what God wants for all the lives of His kids. That His Word would become flesh in our lives. In other words, that we would live it out. We would be living epistles known and read by all men that people would look at our lives and understand God because of the way we live, the way we think, the way we talk, and and the things that we do. That the Word would become flesh in my life. That should be our goal. Let me just say this. For the most part, God will only bless us in proportion to how much we obey him. Now, when I say that, I'm not talking about salvation. I'm not talking about positional truths. I'm talking about practical truths, okay? Uh, When I say that God most often will only bless us in proportion to how much we obey him, this has nothing to do with God's love for us. Okay, please understand that. Uh, God's love remains constant regardless of how much we obey or disobey him. The issue here is not God's love, but how much he will be able to bless our lives. In the book of Jude, which is only one chapter, verse 21, Jude admonishes us. He says, keep yourselves in the love of God. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Now, by saying this, Jude isn't telling us to keep ourselves, you know, so cute and irresistible that God just can't help but love us. The Bible says that God's love is unconditional and therefore is not subject to what we do or don't do. We often think of God's love for us in those terms, don't we? We often think that God loves us more when we obey him and less when we disobey him. That is not true. That is legalism. That is rooted in, uh, or religion is rooted in that, the idea that I have to perform, I have to go to church, I have to light the candles, pray the rosaries, Uh, do all these work, keep the holy days, and so on, because as I do these things, then I earn God's favor. God will love me more. That's not biblical. That's demonic, actually. The Bible says everything God gives to us is by his grace. Grace means getting what we don't deserve. The first on the list is salvation. Everything after that, though, is the same way. Every good gift, and all the gifts of God are good. Every gift God gives us. It's never based on positionally now, I'm talking about positionally now. Uh, You know, I mean, how much God loves you, salvation, all that. uh, That's all dependent upon his grace. But there are practical truths because we live in the positional and the practical. Positional is, you know, uh, I receive Christ by faith. I am sealed by the Holy Spirit in Christ till the day of redemption. I am holy. I am blameless uh, in his sight. Those are positional truths. They never change. But as I live in this on this earth, well, then I, ha- I experience practical truths. I can hurt people. I can disobey God. And therefore, what uh, God says to the Apostle John in 1 John, when he says, you know, if we sin and we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, right? These are practical truths. What does Jude mean? Well, Jude is talking about practical truths. When Jude tells us to keep ourselves in the love of God, what he's saying is this. He is admonishing us to keep living our lives in obedience to what God has said so that he, God, can demonstrate, underline that word, demonstrate his love for us in tangible ways. You know, when my kids were little, their obedience or disobedience didn't affect my love for them. That was unconditional. However, if they were being disobedient, it didn't stop me from loving them, but I couldn't bless that behavior by taking them out for ice cream either, right? The blessing I desired to show them, practically, were all dependent upon their obedience to the rules that our mother and I had laid down for our family. The same is true with God. When you received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you became a child of God. You became part of the family of God. And as any father, the, uh, like any good father, our Heavenly Father wants to bless His children's lives but only if we will obey his will for our lives as he has laid down in his word. Now listen, I'm not saying we have to be perfect. None of us are. I'm not saying for God to bless you, you've got to be perfect. I'm just saying, though, that if you are involved in some egregious sin, something that's pretty obvious, you're living with your boyfriend or girlfriend, you're stealing from the company or something else, I mean, these are sins that we can help. These are sins that we need to knock off. We need to confess and, and get away from. If God's going to really bless our lives the way He wants. I mean, we all have these other sins that we wrestle with and our thought lives and some of our language or whatever it might be. And you know, and we need to bring that to God. We need to confess those things. And He'll give but He's not going to hold that against us. For, you know, it's the sins that we're doing, that we know we're doing, that are wrong, that are sins we can stop. Immediately we need to do that if God is really going to bless our lives in some very practical ways. And this is not just a New Testament idea. It's also something that's found in the Old Testament. Why don't you turn to Deuteronomy 30. We bring this to a close. Deuteronomy 30. I'm going to read this to you out of the NLT. You can follow along in your version. Listen to what God is saying now. This is God speaking through Moses to his people just before he was going to let Joshua lead them into the promised land. They'd been wandering in the wilderness for, you know, 40 years. Moses couldn't lead them in because he had been unfaithful to God, misrepresented God by the waters of Meribah. So now Joshua's going to take them in. But Deuteronomy means second law, and God is recounting his law the second time, reminding them as they prepare to enter the promised land of all that he has said. And it kind of reaches a climax in Deuteronomy 30, starting with verse 15. Which says, Now listen, today I am giving you a choice between life and death, between prosperity and disaster. For I command you this day to love the Lord your God and to keep his commands, decrees, and regulations by walking in his ways. If you do this, you will live and multiply, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are about to enter and occupy. But if your heart turns away, and if you refuse to listen, and if you are drawn away to serve and worship other gods... Then I warn you now that you will certainly be destroyed. You will not live a long good life in the land you are crossing the Jordan to occupy. Today I have given you the choice between life and death, between blessings and curses. Now I call heaven and earth to witness the choice you make. Oh, that you would choose life so that you and your descendants might live. You can choose or you can make this choice by loving the lord your god obeying him and committing yourself firmly to him this is the key to your life and if you love and obey the lord you will live long in the land the lord swore to give your ancestors abraham isaac and jacob notice how many times the lord stressed that he wanted their obedience to him to be done out of love and not out of begrudging duty see guys before I was a Christian, I was a Roman Catholic. You know that, most of you. And uh, I went to Catholic grade school. My wife went to Catholic high school. We got married in the Catholic church. And after we got married, we decided, well, you know what? We're married now. We're adults. Okay. Uh, we need to go to church. That's what good people do. They go to church. So we went to Catholic church uh, every Sunday for a while until we got saved. Um, but I remember I didn't really look forward to go into church, which is something we felt we needed to do. And I remember that when I came out of mass, when I came out of church, I felt good that I had done my duty, okay? I mean, I didn't get anything out of it, but at least I had done my duty. That's religion. It's all about doing your duty. It's all about obligation. Not about doing things because you really love the Lord, you're really excited about going to church, singing praises to Him, studying His Word, fellowshipping with God's people. See, it wasn't until after we got saved and the Spirit of God came inside that now I went to church, not because I had to go to church, I got to go to church. Now I didn't have to read the Bible, I got to read the Bible. And I didn't have to hang out with God's people, I got to hang out with God's people. It's a whole different thing, isn't it? I had religion, then I had a relationship. Let me say it one more time. God does not want religion from you, He wants a relationship with you. And that can only happen when you accept Jesus Christ into your heart as your Lord and Savior and are born again. Everything changes. Now, I know that some of you are sitting there thinking, well, yeah, that's great, good principles, I get it. But again, they don't help me, these are too general. Again, I need to know who God God wants me to marry, what job to take, where to live, what ministry to be involved in, and a million other questions that I have over the course of my daily life, things I just need to know from God. I need to know about these specific matters of my life. Hang on, we'll do that next week, God willing. But let me just say this as we close. Again, if people are running around trying to find God's specific will for their life, but in the process they're living lives of carnality, compromise, or even... Flat out rebellion, again, living with a boyfriend, a girlfriend, doing other things that are wrong, then listen. If you're not going to be serious about doing what God has already revealed to you about His will for your life and His Word, why should He reveal anything further? I mean, what did James say? You draw near to God and He'll do what? He'll draw near to you. You draw near to God, He'll draw near to you. You get in the Word with a heart that says, I want to obey all that God has said, and God will say to you, That's what I want to hear. Now, I will lead you in ways you never thought possible. You know, guys, when we are walking in the Spirit, when we're walking in obedience, the Bible says the steps of a good man, a good woman, are ordered by the Lord. To be a good man or woman, A, you have to be saved. B, you're walking in the Spirit. You're doing everything God has said in His Word. You're trying to obey everything He said. As you do that, God will lead your life even if you don't realize He's leading your life. How many of you can testify? That, you know, you thought about this or you're doing something and something came up and you decided to go over here, do that, call this person. And all of a sudden it opened up into a tremendous ministry opportunity. And you look back and you said, wow, God was leading me. I wasn't planning on coming here today at this time. God was leading me. That's because your heart is such where you said, Lord, I want to be used. I want to live for you. I want to obey you. God sees the heart and then he begins to lead your life even when you don't realize he's leading your life. But we'll give you some principles so you don't go away empty-handed, okay? Give you some principles next week that will help maybe to pinpoint God's will for your life in various areas. But um, can I just encourage you one last time? If you concern yourself with doing what God has already revealed in his word, then he will lead your life even when you don't sense his presence working in your life every day. He will be leading you in the right paths. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word because your word, Lord, is the blueprint. It has the instructions that we need, Lord, to walk with you in this world. And, Lord, it's a lamp to our feet, a light to our path. As long as we walk in the light of your truths and your word, we'll never stumble or fall in darkness. Give us a heart, Lord, that desires to do all that you have commanded us to do in your word. And then, Lord, please lead us by your spirit in all the personal matters of our lives. So we thank you, Lord. We ask you to continue to bless uh, this series by uh, giving us grace next week to finish up. But we give it to you, Lord, and pray you bless the end of this series next week. In Jesus' precious name, amen.